Make It Right, the manufacturing podcast. On the Make It Right podcast, we often talk about the importance of creating trust in the manufacturing environment by respecting our team members, their experience, and their knowledge. This trust is built quite slowly, but it can be shattered in a second by an uncivil act or a comment. And this can be a costly error for morale and the bottom line, because when trust is low, engagement is low. This week on the Make It Right podcast, we're talking civility in the manufacturing environment and its importance in a continuous improvement plan. Our guest today is an internationally recognized expert on civility at work. Dr. Lou Bayer has published 17 plus books and her most recent with Christian Bizzotti is called Manufacturing Civility. She's also the CEO of Civility Experts, which has 501 affiliates around the world. She's an international speaker and she shares the power of civility at work all around the world. So we are really pleased to have on the Make It Right podcast, Kevin Snook and I, Dr. Lou Bayer on the show. So welcome to the show, Lou. Nice to see you. Thank you. Nice to be here. It's a pleasure. So my question for you right off the top is, when did you discover the power of civility, because you've been focused on it for more than 20 years. This is people treatment. When did you see that this was the key? So it, it's true, it's uh, over 20 years now um, when we started Civility Experts. And at the time uh, before I started this kind of entrepreneurial adventure, I was director of operations for a hotel chain. And anyone who's ever worked service industry or hospitality knows that it can be unkind. Um, from a service point of view, from an employee point of view, um, it's difficult to navigate kind of the comings and goings of an often transient workforce. It's a very uncivil workplace. And so in that environment, we were teaching a lot of etiquette. So social rules, wedding etiquette, um, banquet etiquette, dining etiquette, you know, just how, how people should know to behave in social situations. And it occurred to me at that time that it really doesn't matter how many rules you teach people. It doesn't matter how polite people are. If at the end of the day, they really don't respect or value the people they're with. And so my view um, turned to, you need to know the social rules to the social rules don't matter nearly as much as we think. So civility goes way beyond social rules. So how do you, define civility and why why is it so important well we define civility it's um you know it's about a continuous acknowledgement that you have the um, ability to impact the day-to-day -day experience of others it's about um, choosing civility as a point of character so that it becomes who you are more so than what you do um, it's a conscious and consistent effort to ease the experience of others. And you do that through restraint. You do that through being trustworthy, which I know is um, something that Kevin talks about a lot. Um, you do that by um, being consistent in terms of your personal and high standard morals, ethics, you know, it, it, it runs the gamut. Um, you know, we do work with everything from teaching university students interview etiquette all the way to some civil dialogue with United Nations. You know, it's this big, broad thing. Okay. So Lou, what would be some signs of incivility in the workplace? So um, we can talk about workplaces generally, and uh, there are some specific things 
in manufacturing environments. So it's everything from um, general decreases in productivity to sabotage to withdrawal from uh, interaction and communications to increases in error rates. Um, we get a lack of collaboration, um, lower teamwork, you know, all sort of the general metrics that we might look at in terms of collaboration and general communication. We see declines in all of those things, but things like um, mental health, um, more physical ailments, people needing uh, longer to bounce back from stressful situations, inability to manage change. It's quite a comprehensive list, actually. Okay, so let's let's talk a little bit about that. Civility is designed to build trust and stronger relationships. So, how do you go about moving forward with this new approach? How do you how do you actually start to maybe from ground zero build that trust? Well, um, one of the interesting things is over the years we've discovered that in organizations where there are all of these incivility symptoms, when we try to find the root cause, you know, why, at the end of the day, we found there was a strong correlation between low trust and high incivility. And so when we looked at why is that happening, we discovered that in many of those environments, the leadership was to blame supervisors, managers, and in manufacturing, it's that kind of mid and upper level. And it had more to do with people being kind of caught up in the moment, uh, doing what they had to do, behaving out of habit and not paying attention to the social nuances. So supervisors who might be really skilled at their job technically, but who never really learned that when somebody tilts their head ever so slightly or takes a step backward or shifts their tone of voice um, when they gesture in a certain way, that you should pay attention. And um, so social intelligence is one of the things that we start with, particularly social radar, which is one of three components of social IQ. And when we teach people to read these cues, we discover that they were significantly more, um, more able to build trust. So, um, you know, we'd say to an employee, why do you trust him and not him? And they, they could actually say to us, it's because he listens to me. Well, how do you know he's listening? And the supervisor would say, but I do listen, you know, and then we could discover that there were a, um, this cluster of behaviors that indicated certain moods and certain levels of accountability. And so we've devised a tool to that effect. Kevin, do you have any questions as of yet? Yeah, I've, I've, I've got about 100, but uh, <laughs> and I knew we were going to be doing this podcast. I was thinking back into times when things had maybe gone wrong in my kind of working environment. And so I wanted to bring up one specific uh, situation. And that was where I had a leader at the time, my boss at the time, and he was um, expecting me to work Sunday nights. And, you know, even though I, I, I had the team under control and I felt like everything was manageable. And, and in fact, it was my job to allow the team to manage themselves on a Sunday night. He was very much pushing me that you ought to be there. You ought to be overseeing it. You ought to be the one in control of it. And it was the first time in my career and, and possibly even the last time that I actually really got really angry. 
I, it was an, a very unusual for me to be standing in a corridor with somebody and, and, sh and screaming at them, right? And that was a very situational example. Um, it's not my normal behavior. I don't consider myself to be in, in, in civil or whatever, however you would put that, uh, in a general situation. But I felt like I was being pushed into something. How does this uh, kind of like, how is this situational dependent on specific things that are happening rather than just you know, labeling the person as civil or, or not? Right, so that's a good question. And that's that's the second component of social intelligence. And I should have qualified all of this by saying that I mentioned at the beginning, civility is much more than manners. And so we know that civility is a measurable competency and that there are four skills that underpin the ability to be civil. They are social intelligence, cultural competence, systems thinking, and continuous learning. But the easiest to teach and learn is uh, social intelligence because it's based in experiential learning. So when you just spoke now of a situational aspect to things, um, this um, social knowledge and social radar, two components of social intelligence combined, create an ability for an individual to assess very, very quickly, is this mood, is that um, yelling, is that body language, is that a consistent or regular or typical behavior? Or is that something that has um, uh, arrived out of a context or a nuance or a social situation? And then somebody who has um, high social acuity is able to adapt it. So in your case, if, if you're not prone to this kind of um, um, upset or raising your voice or lack of restraint, if your leader was high social intelligence, he would probably not hold a grudge about that. He would make the assumption that there's some stress or Kevin's under some duress here and he would be more forgiving and adaptive. It would not be a breach of trust in that circumstance. But where social acuity is low, people tend to take it personally. They tend not to listen. They just get caught up in the emotion. They see it as a physical aggression um, and they don't really adapt to that social situation in a positive uh, leader-oriented way. So that's a, that's a matter of the, of the manager or the boss in that situation, being able to see that it's contextual, right? And then being able to make, um, well, I guess in a way not make a judgment, but be able to see that there's a specific stressor happening and then be able to address that rather than categorize it as an ongoing behavior. That's exactly right. And concurrent with teaching the leaders to read those cues and interpret them. And that's what this continuum tool does. It illustrates, here's a cluster of behaviors that we can label as an uh, emotional category. Uh, withdrawal, for example. Here's the behaviors if you're new to social IQ that you would watch for. If you check the box and you see these nine things, for example, the situation you gave, someone's turning red, they're a little bit out of breath, they're yelling, they're backing away, they're clenching their fists. These uh, gestures as a cluster would indicate um, some sort of disappointment or upset depending on the level of those behaviors. And then the continuum suggests, here's what to watch for that um, would indicate whether that was 
a character trait or an aspect of personality, or is it in fact truly behavioral? And if it's behavioral, here's the manager um, can set that, or here's how the manager shoots. And then on the other hand, here's how the individual patient, if, if I, as your supervisor, observe here more than once so frequently then I would teach you how to understand what your hot buttons are so that you don't get fired for being a loose cannon um, and I would teach you social uh, intelligence too so you could read okay I better calm myself mad you know so everybody plays a role but depending on the power um you know, how the power is managed in that environment and what's at stake, is it a health and safety issue, for example, in which case go ahead and yell because if it's a safety issue, you know, maybe that's necessary to get people's attention. But we would look at the situation for sure. We try to um, teach people to assess kind of ongoing this observation and feedback that is such a big part of manufacturing, right? Yeah, and the, the other thing that crept up to me when we were, you know, we, we were first thinking about this podcast was, um, and you, you'd mentioned sabotage earlier on. Uh, my, one of my younger brothers, when we were uh, when we were much younger, he was working in a in a factory, and it was a chip making factory, right? They were actually making frozen chips, uh, French fries, and uh, not 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 electronic chips, French fries, and uh, and as they were. You're basically someone would pour these potatoes in one end, something would chop them up, and then they'd come along. And, and the job that my brother had at the time was to pick out the bad French fries, right? The ones that were bruised or black spots or something. And they really felt like that was a pretty meaningless job and that they didn't get very many breaks. It was also a frozen food place, so they were freezing cold. And what they realized was that they got a break every time the machine went down. Every time that the machine failed, then it was a benefit to them, right? Because they'd be able to go and have a break and warm up mm -hmm. and, and it was great. So they would have a conversation with the guy who's pouring the potatoes into the machine to just throw, throw a few too many in so that it would break down and then everybody would take a break and it was fantastic. Mm -hmm. Now, that's, that's a, a simple example of sabotage. But it's, I think what created that was that was the environment where they didn't feel like they were valued. There wasn't the trust that they were going to get their breaks. There wasn't the trust that they were being looked after. There wasn't any reward and recognition system for doing a better job. And so they led to that situation. And that, that must be one of kind of like a classic for what you're looking at here. How would we, how would we increase the productivity by doing things in a different way? Right, and, and so that, that's a very good example. And what we find in the field research is that almost 75% of the time, those initial behaviors that a supervisor would say, well, I, they're just stopping the machine on purpose. I don't trust those guys, they're lazy or whatever. What we find is that 75% of the time, behaviors, the initial incivility, um, is based on mistrust. And when we look at it a little bit deeper, it has to do with those baseline, what we would call, um, I don't know if you're familiar with Maslow's hierarchy, those kind of baseline uh, personal needs. So 
Um, it relates to, am I being paid fairly? Do I get a bathroom break? Is it safe here? Do people act like they actually care about me as a human being? Do I have safety gloves? You know, all of those sort of baseline needs. And if we could address those, and a lot of that is about just fair play in, in any workplace, um, you know, we, we tend to put it under this umbrella of safety for manufacturing, but, you know, oftentimes if we just ask people and if you actually listen, they will tell you what, what the problem is. And we chalk it up to something that's based on our own experience or perception. And in reality, it's very easy to fix and certainly not paying people well, not monitoring their physical health and the extent to which people get breaks that they're deserving of, um, that, that's certainly uncivil on the part of the leadership and the organization, and it's a definite breach of trust. So how, how, sorry, Jay, so how would okay. you then, how would you then uh, in that situation have the conversation with the company to say, you're, you're kind of a, a cause of this, Right. Um, it, it, this is not just people being a pain in the ass. This is that, that there's a reason for this behavior. And you're kind of you, you're you're setting that course. Are companies actually open to that kind of dialogue with you? I'm not always. Um, and my of course, I'm a civility expert. So I had the benefit um, and this that we have four collaboration books actually for related to civility and manufacturing. But Christian Masadi who uh, sadly couldn't be with us today, but he, um, he has the experience on the floor and what I suspect he would say, um, because I watched this um, when we do our civility audits is that the observation methodology and problem solving seems to work best. So when we ask you know, the, the supervisor, why is it that operator on line seven has had um, line stoppages nine times in the last, 24 hours, you know, what, what's that all about? And we'll start with a five whys approach, maybe. Why is the line stopping? Well, there's no mechanical issue. There's no, you, you know, you have to get to the, to the root cause. And sometimes um, when they see that the root cause is actually a lack of will as opposed to a lack of skill, um, and that it has more to do with the relational aspect of things than the operational aspect of things, then they work a little harder to manage the people side. Um, you know, sometimes there's some embarrassment or disbelief or shame, you know, that a supervisor doesn't necessarily want to be accountable for some of those things, but at the end of the day, he or she, in fact, is accountable for those uh, type of behaviors. What role, like I know that you have said that civility is measurable. So this it's measurable. So can you track it right down to the bottom line and say, let's fix these problems. And you're going to see your curve go not this way, but this way in your, your profitability. So tell me how this is measurable, Lou. Oh, absolutely. You can. So first of all, we can measure from a competency point of view. You know, we can assess people's social intelligence. We can you know, look at incivility symptoms, you know, we can do that sort of measurement. But then um, what we find is that people treatment tends to be a precursor, um, an aspect of continuous improvement that really supports and reinforces all the benefits of typical continuous improvement strategy. 
So for example, Christian references it as the low hanging fruit. So things like people um, withholding information, people not sharing tribal knowledge, uh, people on the floor wasting time because they wanna see the supervisor just suffer and go through it. Um, people delaying the quick to fit, you know, um, not sharing with the newest overall consistency and quality increases. Um, we can measure um, bottom line metrics. Um, if you incorporate positive people treatment, a lot of those smaller continuous improvement projects, the time and money spent on those need not happen at all. Dr. Lou Baer is a civility expert and she is also a published author. She's written two books with Christian Mazzotti about the manufacturing sector. One is called Manufacturing Civility and the other is called Lean on Civility. When she joins us again next week, she's going to talk about a tool that she's providing to listeners called the Civility Culture Continuum Brief and she'll explain how to use it. I hope you'll join us then. Keep in mind, Make It Right is brought to you by Kevin Snook. He is a leadership advisor and author of the best-selling book, Make It Right, Five Steps to Align Your Manufacturing Business from the Front Line to the Bottom Line. You can find Make It Right on Twitter and LinkedIn and subscribe through iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and YouTube. I'm Janet Eastman. Thanks for listening to Make It Right.